Kevin Larson, our lead pastor, will be preaching this morning, and our sermon text is Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. So if you um, have a Bible, you can turn to it. It'll be up on the screen as well. If you want to look in one of the Black House Bibles in front of you, it'll be on page 944. Again, it's Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, and I'm going to invite you to stand up and follow along as I read out loud. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do join me in prayer. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the significance that the resurrection is in our faith. Um, I pray, Father, that you will um, you will give us eyes to see truth here in your word. God, that you would stir our hearts to see Jesus for who he truly is, to, to see and be in awe of all that you have done and all that you've accomplished on our behalf through his life and death and resurrection. I pray, Father, that you would um, grant us faith, that you would renew faith here in our midst this morning. God, be with Kevin. pray that you'd empower him by your spirit uh, to preach. God, speak to us. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Jeff. He is risen. Amen. Good to see everyone this morning. Um, We are jumping out of our series through Matthew today to look at this special Easter passage here in Romans 8, or it may not seem on the surface to be an Easter passage, but it has all kinds of hope for us this morning. Um, But before we get there, I want to start off by asking kind of an odd question, at least I think it's maybe an odd way to start Easter. Have you been doing much groaning lately? Groaning. Well, it's likely you have, as you heard with me yet again about another school shooting. As this one was in Nashville, you know, it's impacted some of the musicians we follow. Um, We've done a number of songs here by an artist by the name of Sandra McCracken over the years, and the shooting took place actually at her home church. Her husband was in the building somewhere at the time. I've really enjoyed the, the music of Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors for a while. His, his wife, um, Ellie, who puts out some great music herself, sang at the funeral of one of the women that died. It was her elementary school teacher that was killed. A school meets right here on our grounds. You may not know that. As we think about what might happen if someone brought a gun in here. As we grieve about what happened in Nashville, seems to happen every other week in America, it leads to groaning. It leads to weeping. And at least for me, a lot of questions. How long, Lord? Why this again? 
Will things ever change? I heard of two family members of folks here in Karis who were diagnosed with cancer just this week. My wife literally groans every day as she gets out of bed. The, the meds that she takes to keep cancer at bay just wreak havoc on her bones. Why, Lord? We hear about another black man being killed, about a tornado wiping out a town. Why, Lord? When is this all going to stop? Again, have you been doing any groaning lately? Well, today I'm going to argue that we actually should, but we don't have to despair as we do. That's because of the encouragement we see here in verse 18. Hear it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So much hope there in those words. And I want you to hear more than anything today is that that hope comes in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Now we'll come back to that, that verse soon, verse 18. But first I want you to hear a couple of important truths that we see in the rest of the passage. Here's the first that I've already mentioned. We should groan amidst the sufferings of this world. We should groan. In fact, I would argue if you don't find yourself groaning, lamenting all this pain, something may indeed be wrong. A few years back when my mom passed away, I spent a little more time around a funeral home than I was used to, and I remember the funeral director saying these words, and I know these are words that are repeated all over America. This is a natural thing. It's just a part of life. No, no, I want you to hear this morning that it's not. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Suffering and sin and death are highly unnatural. That's why Jesus, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, why he had such a strong emotional reaction there. He wept. John 11 tells us in verse 35. You've heard that verse perhaps. Just before that, in verse 33, John says that he was deeply moved, which, which really doesn't get to the meaning all that well. No, this is saying that Jesus was angry standing at the tomb of his friend. No, all of this is not natural at all. It should make us sad, and it should, in fact, even make us appropriately mad. Look at verse 20 again in Romans 8. Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now on the surface, that's kind of confusing, right? To understand really what the apostle is talking about, we have to go back to the beginning of God's story, where God made the garden and he put Adam and Eve in it to rule under him. And then everything was perfect. But that first couple, they were determined to rule over it in their own way, independent of God, and the fall happened, and as a result, God cursed what he had made. So you may remember Genesis 3, where God says, as a result of their sin, that there would now be pain and childbearing, where he says the ground would from then on be cursed that we'd fight thorns and thistles in the dust of the earth, and then we would return to that dust ourselves. That's what Paul's talking about here when he says the creation was subjected to futility. Now, not willingly, he clarifies. It wasn't the, the earth's fault. It was all on Adam and Eve. But God judges what he has made. He subjected his creation, it says, to bondage to corruption. 
verse 21. But there, in this verse, there's good news too because it says in verse 20 that he did it in hope. And we'll get to that soon. But first, hear this again. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And because of that, there's a response that's fitting, and again, it's groaning. Not putting on a fake smile, but letting the tears flow. So I have a son who's almost 20, believe it or not. Back when he was born, I had some some different expectations, you could say, about the birthing process. So my wife chose not to get an epidural for that child, and I was in the room, and I was, I was trying to touch my wife, rub her arms, put my arm around her while she was giving birth. You know, my heart was engaged. I was excited. I was moved. And she just kept brushing them away, sometimes slapping them away. She was not having it at all. Afterwards, I expressed how, you know, how I'd felt during that time and, and just how I was hoping, you know, we'd embrace a little bit more. And she just looked at me, and she just said, are you nuts? I thought I was dying in there. I guess she was in some pain. (laughs) But here Paul says the creation is longing in verse 19 to be set free, it says in verse 21. The creation is longing for this to just all be over. And in that longing for freedom, his creation is groaning. Groaning together, it says in verse 22, in the pains of childbirth. So, wow, what an image there. God is telling us his creation is like a mom in tons of pain, longing it for, for again, it all to be finished, groaning over this pain she's enduring. To use another picture, think of all of nature in harmony, the birds, the trees, the, the mountains, the streams, crying out in song, and not at this point a song of praise, but of lament for freedom from this curse that it's under. But this passage says that we too join in that song, or we should. We're leading the melody while creation is in the background. Listen to verse 23 again. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. If we're believers, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's at work in us already. But even still, we want to be set free, right? Released completely from our bondage to sin and death, liberated from all this sickness and suffering we experience. Where there's no more cancer, there's no more abuse, no more kids hiding under their desks. I couldn't look at Amy giving birth to our kids and say, why are you carrying on like that, babe? Is, that, is it that bad? Should a Christian act like that? No, not if I wanted to live, right? Or wanted to be wise. Longing for freedom, groaning for that day, it's right because so much of what we see is so wrong. Here's the second thing I want you to grasp. We should do that in hope, waiting for glory. Isn't that what Paul says here? We should long for something better for life as it was intended. Now, just to be clear here, I'm not saying that things here are as bad as they could be. No, there are so many blessings, and we're going to experience them today. So many signs of grace all around us, of God's activity. The king has come to earth. His kingdom is also here and now. But the reality is so many don't recognize his reign. His will is not done fully as it is up in heaven. 
Our communion with God has been disrupted. Our communion with one another has been broken. Our communion with the rest of his creation has been messed up. Our enemy has sway over all God has made. The world tugs at us, trying to lead us astray. Our sinful hearts, what the Bible calls our flesh, is too willing to go back into the mud. Around us, inside us, we still see sin and death, and we'll be battling that sin until he returns or until death finally overtakes us. So therefore, we look ahead to the redemption of all things. We long for all of his creation to be restored. We groan along with it all, waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3, where death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away, Revelation 21. We wait for his kingdom to come, and when it comes, there will be with it perfect justice and peace. Well, we also long, we groan for our bodies to be restored. Not just for the resurrection of all things, but the resurrection of this thing. Not to be set free from the the body, No, that's not Christianity, but to see our body resurrected. That's what Paul is pointing to in verse 23 when he says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he talks about adoption there. So if we've come to know Jesus, or rather he's come to know us, we're made his sons, we're made his daughters, we're adopted, we're brought into his family. But that reality will be made known, it will be showcased When Jesus returns and he makes us new, either right then, right there, if we're alive, or after we've been brought out of the grave, if we've already died, our bodies will be restored, they'll be made perfect like his. This is this promise that we await here as we groan. We human beings, children of God, it says here, will be center stage on that day. All creation will be watching on tiptoe, as it were, knowing that our day of renewal will also be its day. So just picture, you know, a stage, let's say it's Broadway, and you've got creation gathered and creation excited and waiting, and then we come out on the stage and we're renewed, and there's applause, there's cheering from those in the background because they know our fate, which will be glorious, is also theirs. That's what verse 19 is trying to say. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Fallen creation, verse 21 says, will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So first, we should groan amidst the sufferings of this world, but second, we should do this in hope, waiting for glory. But I want to talk a minute here about what we mean by hope and where it is we place that hope. So when we talk about hope today, we see, say things like, I sure hope that Mizzou beats Princeton today. So it's, it's, a, it's a hope in that sense, a wishful thought. Obviously, that one didn't work out so well. When the Bible talks about hope, though, it's talking about an anchor of the soul that's attached to something sure, to something steadfast, what Hebrews 6 talks about. Something we can count on, something that will not disappoint. But what we so often do, though, in this fallen world is we despair 
as we look around, as we look within. We don't anchor ourselves at all, or we try to attach ourselves to something that's unstable. And we end up drifting further and further away and further and further down, and we lose hope. Author Robert Chong, who joined us a few weeks back, he says in his books that we have this choice. We can look up in the sky, and we can just see the cloud cover. We can just see our sufferings, and that becomes our reference point. And that leads to despair. Or we can choose to look for the sun, even when it's hard to see, and fix our eyes there and make that our reference point, and choose to hope in Christ. That's what God wants us to do. But the thing we also have to notice from this passage in Romans again is that his return, it's not promised to come overnight, right? It says we'll have to wait. Verses 24 and 25 say that is what hope, in fact, is all about. It, it's waiting, or it's not really hope. It's waiting while we're groaning, but as we're enduring through the suffering. What's the ground then of our hope, friends? It's this, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's defeated sin and death. He's won the victory over the grave. He has a renewed, resurrected body himself. He's making all things new. One day, he'll return and start with us. Again, and our bodies will be remade. And then he'll move on again and restore his entire creation. That's our future, church. There's hope in that. But the resurrection says even more than that. It does. Life in him has already come. Right now, if we trust in Jesus, our souls will be made alive. Abundant, eternal, spiritual life is started in us and we can be made brand new. We don't have to be captive to sin, Satan, and death anymore. We can have freedom as the sons and daughters today. Even as our bodies are breaking down, our hearts can be renewed little by little until the day when Jesus returns. So I ask you, in suffering, will you hope as you groan, or will you despair? Will you look ahead to redemption? Will you hope in the glory that awaits? We can keep going in suffering because we know that Jesus is alive and he's making all things new. Well, I want to begin to wrap up by asking three questions that I think come out of this passage that I think will help us apply what we see here in Romans 8 today. And the first is, where will you place your hope? Where will you place your hope? As I said earlier, Jesus is the king who's bringing his kingdom where peace and justice and life and love will reign. But it's so easy for us today, and we see this all the time, to just trust in the rulers and governments of this world, and they'll always disappoint us. And I'm not saying that they or the things I'm going to list here are not important, but that they're going to let us down. It's easy for us to think that more education, the right policies, maybe lower taxes, maybe better social programs, whatever it might be, will end up ushering in this utopia we think we want. 
But so much of the time, we don't, even, we don't even go there. We end up dealing with our groaning by fantasizing instead. So we, we stream a movie, you know, we scroll on TikTok, we absorb ourselves in our favorite team, we immerse ourselves in our favorite hobby. Maybe we search and search and scroll and scroll looking for something we can buy, and that distracts us. We try to block all the pain out, but that is never going to go away in those ways. So I would say, friend, don't, don't bury your head in the sand. Look out the window, look in the mirror. Sin and suffering are everywhere, grown, don't ignore it, but let that turn into hope as you hope in the resurrected Christ and what he'll come to do. Second, how will you process this pain? We all have to We all have to wrestle with this. We can get so easily hung up on the whys of this fallen world and not let ourselves get past the groaning. So Amy and I had two more kids after we had our first. It's common when a baby is born that the mother will hold the baby and if not immediately then or certainly after, say to her husband, hey, let's do it again. Because it was all worth it, they found, right? We can look around in this world and we can get hung up on the hard questions. God, are you strong enough to do something about this or not? Are you maybe, though, not good enough to make it all go away? Why, Lord? What's your problem? And we lash out. But even if we don't understand his reasons, couldn't we say that if God is God and if he's as big as we would think God would be, couldn't we just follow the train of logic that he might still have some reasons for where he's taking things, why this pain even exists if we can't quite understand them? Could it even be something like childbirth where what we receive in the end makes all the pain worthwhile? Maybe he'll explain it all to us someday in the new heavens and new earth. But could it be possible, where this passage is going here, that resurrection life is that much greater, that much more beautiful, at least viewed from the end? Maybe he is making all things new, and better even, he's God, right? But I want to challenge you with this as well. This may apply to you. This life is tough. The the groaning threatens to overwhelm, and you have to explain it. You have to deal with it in some way. Maybe you say there is no God. We're all left to randomness, to chance. That there's no purpose in the pain. But if that's what you choose, that's where you have to live. And that's a sad place to be. And that is a road that leads to despair. So I would say to you, I'd plead with you, look to Jesus. Third, what difference will it make? Back a number of years ago, a California truck driver by the name of Larry Walters strapped over 40 helium-filled weather balloons to a lawn chair and got ready for a ride. So he expected to go up maybe 100 feet in the air, but to his surprise, he found himself 16,000 feet in the air. So you question, you know, this, where this guy's at, but he did have the presence of mind to take a pellet gun up with him on his flight, so he proceeded to shoot out some of the balloons as he got to ascending too too quickly, 
But then as he started descending too fast, he had to take a countermeasure and he planned ahead again and he, had, he drained some water from the jugs that were tied to his chair. But eventually he, he got down, he got caught in a power line and knocked out electricity for thousands of his neighbors. But when he was lowered to the ground and a reporter asked for a reason for his stunt, he replied, a man just can't sit around. <laughs> Makes perfect sense, right? I feel, I fear that this is so often what the world thinks of Christians. Yeah, that we're a little bit loopy, yeah, but I mean more than that. That we're so ready for heaven to forget the world, and we do everything we can to just fly up to the sky and leave it all behind. But this misunderstands how God's story ends. How does God's word describe the end of the world? Or really the beginning, the new beginning of the world, Revelation 21 too. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Heaven is coming to earth, church. That's the future of this creation. It's where the redeemed people of God will forever live. So until that comes, no, a man, a woman, can't just sit around. We got stuff to do. Now, one criticism I keep hearing in the wake of this most, most recent shooting and with the others is this, that thoughts and prayers just aren't enough. Maybe you've heard that. It's a slam that's directed at professing believers. And while prayer has to come first, and we cannot give that up, I don't think that critique is completely undeserved. Don't worry, I'm not going to get my thoughts on protecting schools or how to bring gun violence under control. But I will say that if heaven is coming down to earth, if that's our future, we need to do all we can to bring that into the here and now to not just sit here, but to do something. We have to live future back, as Tim Keller likes to say. Future back. If, as John Stott says, the Christian hope is not the immortality of the soul, but the resurrection of our body. If our future is to live in our world here that's completely restored, then our tendency shouldn't be to try to fly away, but rather to dive right in, to roll up our sleeves and seek after redemption. I love this quote from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become a due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrection power of God into the new heaven that God will one day make. So what a privilege to be a part 
of building something so amazing. But I have to say, if, if it all came out of nowhere and it's going to be soon nothing, what could your motivation be to pursue any change? I would say hope in the Creator who is also the Redeemer who is risen from the dead. So where will you place your hope? How will you process this pain? And what difference will it even make? Now, back to verse 18 once again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So do you catch what Paul is saying? He's making a comparison, right? So I, I follow someone on social media, and I can't remember who it, who it is. Um, within the last couple of weeks, they posted this photo of a waterfall, this massive waterfall. I believe it was Victoria Falls in Africa. And he or she said something along the lines of this. After seeing these falls, I had to apologize to them for making such a big deal out of Niagara. There was no comparison between the two. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. Except it's more like he's comparing Victoria to that little waterfall that maybe you've seen over at Stevens Lake Park. (laughs) For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Can you hear what he says? That trickle of suffering pouring over into your life, into all of ours, it can't be compared to the glory, to the rushing, roaring waterfalls of his redemption that will overtake us and our trials and pull us under one day. And he says more, those sufferings, they're only a part of the present time. His glory that's coming to us will last forever and ever and ever. There are great depths of groaning in this life here on earth, but they will not begin to compare to the heights of rejoicing. We grow now, but one day with all creation, we'll praise. As Tim Keller puts it, we are told in the new heavens and new earth that the trees and hills will be able to clap and dance. If they will be able to do that, picture what you and I will be able to do. I mentioned singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken at the beginning of the sermon. So we sing, you know, We Will Feast in the, the um, House of Zion. That's one of the songs, but we've done a number of hers. But last week, she wrote these, these words of Christianity Today, and I'm going to end with these. So again, her husband works at that church. That's her home church. If you, if you look her up on YouTube, you know, numerous songs in their their beautiful auditorium, but she writes this, I see this redemptive work going on right now. Nashville is a music hub, a harmony city. It has been thrown into dissonance, but God is weaving that dissonance back into harmony. Even as our hearts break, we can sing of his truth and beauty. We can sing in light of his death and resurrection, and we can grieve with hope. As our community goes through loss, we grasp and groan. We each grieve differently. Healing is messy and slow going, but love is patient. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and we rest on the character of God. 
That means we don't have to force our theology into words or pontificate on this tragedy as if our best political or theological solutions might add something to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have to engage in restorative work, but we're also called to simply rest in Jesus' promise that death will not have the final word. So friends, let us not hope and despair. Let us hope and not despair. (laughs) Jesus is alive and he's making all things new. Let's pray. Father, allow us to see um, the glory of your son, the risen son, and fill us with hope and joy in believing in the coming resurrection, Father. Uh, may that uh, allow us to endure, to wait patiently. And, and Father God, um, may it move us out into the community to share that hope, to work toward that hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.